Turn with me, if you will, in a copy of the scriptures to the book of Ephesians, the letter from Paul to the church at Ephesus found in the New Testament. We're going to be entering into a study of this book in the coming weeks. I'm excited about what the Lord has in store for us. I want to encourage you not only to begin today, but in the days ahead to, to read through this book. It's, it's, a, it's really, a, as we titled this series, A Treasure of Grace from the Lord to Us. In 1922, after a, a hard and, and lengthy search in the Egyptian desert, archaeologist Howard Carter discovered steps that were, that were leading down into the, the tomb of the Egyptian boy king, Tutankhamun, or Tutankhamun, I don't know how you pronounce it, I've heard it different ways. Standing outside a stone wall uh, through which he had, he had cut a small hole, Carter held up a candle to the, to the hole, and his breath was suddenly taken away by what he saw. The glitter of gold just flickered off the walls just from that small light that was shining through that hole. And before him lay wealth and riches that were untold. He spent the next months extracting and cataloging what had become the greatest discovery of treasure in archaeological history. And the world would now be able to marvel at the wonder at all the earthly treasures of King Tut. Some of you have probably seen that. It exhibits around as it's traveled around. Around that same time period, Hetty Green was a woman who was considered to be the greatest female financier in the world. Estimates of her net worth at her death in 1916 were somewhere between $2.5 and $4 billion in today's value. Hetty Green was also considered to be one of America's greatest misers. She would eat cold oatmeal because she did not want to run up her utility bill by heating up the water. Her son eventually lost his leg from a relatively minor injury because she insisted on taking him to a number of free medical clinics rather than paying for a doctor to treat him. She was an extremely rich woman, one of the richest at her time, with tremendous resources, and yet she did not make use of them, nor did she enjoy the benefits of them. As we begin this series today, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, one of the main purposes of this letter is to open our eyes and to, and to open the eyes of our hearts, as Paul says, to the amazing wealth of riches and blessings that flow from God's grace to us in the redemption of his people through Jesus Christ. Paul wants us not to just, not to just glimpse through a, a peephole, but he wants us to enter fully into the treasury of God's grace and to have our, our breath taken away, to marvel at the glory of God and the lavishness of his mercy, the riches of our inheritance, the abundance of his love, the overflow of spiritual blessings and the amazing mysteries of Christ that are revealed to and through his church. Ephesians was written that we might, we might know that, that we are wealthier and more significant than 10,000 Tutankhamuns ever dreamed of being. Not because of our status, not because of our achievements, not because of our, our merits or, or because of our earthly possessions, 
But because of the sovereign will and purpose and grace of God that is at work and has been poured out through his son, Jesus Christ, upon his people. That's what the focus of really the first three chapters of Paul's letter to the Ephesians are about. What God has done and who we are as a result of his overwhelming grace and purpose for us in Christ Jesus. But Paul doesn't want just us to just know about the riches of God's grace that he has bestowed upon us. He doesn't want us just to wander around this great, this great gallery of grace, ooing and eyeing at the, at the treasure and the blessings that are ours, never daring to believe them. He doesn't want us to be spiritual heady greens who, uh, who have a bank account full of resources and blessings for life and yet live like spiritual paupers plodding through life, fearful of the future, overwhelmed by difficulties, joyless, with a sense of, without a sense of hope, feeling insignificant, lacking security. So he not only tells us of the abundant riches of God's grace in the opening of this letter, but he also goes on to tell us the difference that should make in our lives and in the world. He calls us to walk according to the wealth that we possess. He speaks of how the riches of God's grace in Christ transforms our relationships in the church and in our homes and in our communities and in our workplace and in the world in order that the abundance of those riches might be on display. They might be they might be seen. He wants us to be a display case if you will of God's treasure trove of grace. And that's what the last 3 chapters of Ephesians are about how we are to live in light of God's abounding grace. And commentators have called this book the, the treasure house of the Bible. But for all its praise, it remains to us the word of God, a revelation of his truth and his wisdom and his purpose and his power and his grace and his love that are spoken to us first through his son, Jesus, and proclaimed through men like Paul, who's called as an apostle by God to the good news of the gospel. And so as we begin this journey together through this great letter in the coming weeks, my prayer for us, and I want our prayer for one another to be like that of Paul's as he prays in this letter that God would, would give us a spirit of, of wisdom and revelation so that we might know the, the, the we might know him better, that the eyes of our hearts might be open to the to the hope that he has for us, to which he has called us, the riches of the glorious inheritance we have as his people, the incomparably great power that is ours through Jesus Christ, and that we might be strengthened by that power to know his great love and be filled with his fullness. And before we begin entering the various rooms of this, this treasure house of grace, I want to take a look at the overall floor plan today. And, and I want to do that by just looking at the first three verses of this letter. Again, if you'll turn there in the scriptures with me. Paul, in the opening verses, which serves as a greeting in his letter, like many of his letters that he wrote to the churches, uh, also gives us an idea of some of the, the overarching themes, the main characters, if you will, in this letter that we'll see. And so listen as I read the first three verses, and then we'll unpack that a little bit the rest of our time. Hear the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. 
grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Father, would you grant us grace now in the understanding and the hearing of your word? Would you open our eyes to see you and all your glory in the great treasure house of grace which you have bestowed upon us through your son Jesus that is sealed for us by your spirit? Would you do that for the praise of your glorious name? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul in these opening lines points us first to the one from whom this, this treasure of grace that is ours comes. And then, and then he points us to the one through whom it comes. And then lastly, to the ones to whom it comes. And that's what we're going to look at as we go through this. First and foremost in Paul's mind is the one from whom all these blessings and this treasure, this wealth of grace comes. <clears throat> Throughout the letter, Paul is eager to remind us that the riches and the blessings of the gospel are not something that, that we somehow earn by our own merit. They are not something that, that we've somehow uh, stumbled upon or discovered through our, our knowledge or own insight. They're not something that we can, we can purchase or secure for ourselves with our own resources. They come from God. And they are ours by nothing more than, than His gracious will and his, his sovereign purpose and His free grace. All that we are, all that we have is owing to the grace of Almighty God. And that was true of Paul himself. He understood that very personally. He identifies himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. One, one set apart, one who is called and sent as a messenger as a special envoy on, on behalf of Christ. Not because he was smart, not because he was articulate, not because he was greater or more important than anyone else, but he says simply by the will of God, by God's sovereign purpose. How else can you explain a man who, who prided himself on being the, the Hebrew of Hebrews, who at the beginning of his, his time was a hater of Christians, a persecutor of Christ in the church, seeing them as, as opposing God and his, his covenant people. And suddenly he becomes the chief advocate for Jesus in all of Asia Minor, the chief messenger to the Gentiles. God said to Paul, I am going to radically change your life. I'm going to, to change you from a, a persecutor to a preacher of the gospel. And you'll go places that you've never dreamed of. You will say things that you never thought you would ever say. And you will suffer like you, you never imagined, but you will be filled with power and truth and joy in such a way that people will, will come to know me because of you. Imagine that. Paul acknowledges in Galatians that he was not sent by men or for man but by Jesus who appeared to him and by God who had set him apart from birth and called him by grace to the good news of Jesus, to take the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. Paul is, is quick from the very beginning to let us know here that the message he has is not about him. It's not from him. 
And indeed, it's not so much about us or for us. It is about God. And ultimately, it is for God. It is, as we'll see throughout this letter, to the praise of his glorious grace. The whole purpose of Paul in highlighting the amazing gifts of God for us is that we might be amazed at the giver of those gifts. God is the overriding emphasis of this letter. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, it says in chapter 1. He has chosen us and adopted us and redeemed us. God has revealed His wisdom to us and guaranteed our inheritance. God has made us alive in Christ and, and saved us by grace. And He has seated us with Christ in the heavenlies. God has brought us near and he has, he has made us one, one people with all people, with people from all different backgrounds. He has revealed to, to us the mysteries of Christ. He has showered us with his love in Christ. He has given gifts to his, his church and he's building up the body for his glory. God has called us to be holy and blameless and God equips us with his spirit to, to live as children of the light. He fills us with his love so we can love others and, and, and manifest that love in this world. God equips us with power and armor to stand firm against the powers and spiritual forces of evil. The great theme of this letter, and indeed the overarching theme of all of Scripture, is God. God. And we can sometimes forget that when we begin to think of all the grace and the blessings of the gospel that result. We can focus our thoughts often in a way that, uh, that reflects how much God has made of us. We approach life and we approach our relationship with God often from an, an egocentric or a man-centered point of view. There's a difference in looking at the gospel and all the, the blessings of it from the perspective of I am special and I am blessed. And looking at it from the perspective of God has graciously made me special and blessed me undeservedly. One focuses on me, the other focuses on God. And Paul in his letter will bring us face to face with God and who he is and what he has done. And the emphasis is on his glory. It's on his greatness. It's on His grace as it is revealed in Christ and poured out on undeserving sinners. And so the great sign, if you will, over the entrance to every room and even over the doorway in this great treasure house of Ephesians is found, as we read in verse 3, Blessed be the God of our Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If in the end we have discovered the great riches of grace, but have missed being drawn to the one who is the source of that grace, then we will remain the poorest of souls. So Paul begins, and he will throughout this letter, be focused on the one from whom that grace comes, God the Father. But he also wants to point us to the one through him, through whom we receive this great treasure. Paul is an apostle, he says, of Christ Jesus. And he is writing to the saints who are in Christ Jesus. Meaning that, that his identity and his authority as an apostle and our identity 
as, as saints is owing all to the person and the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. If God's glory and grace are preeminent in this letter, then Paul is quick to also note that such glory and such grace are found only in relationship to and in union with His Son, Jesus Christ. You don't have to read very far in the letter to find the phrase, in Christ, or some form of it repeated over and over He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He's chosen us in Him. He has adopted us in Him and and through Him. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. He set forth His purpose in Christ to unite all things in Him. That's just the first few verses that we'll look at next week. Paul goes to great lengths to emphasize that there is no gospel, there is no salvation, there is no abundant riches of grace apart from Jesus Christ and our being joined together, our union with him. And we need to see and we need to understand that because there are many who talk about Christianity, who talk about God's love, who talk about forgiveness and and talk a lot about grace and they never mention The name of Jesus. But you cannot truly have any of those things without him. God's glory is is clearly seen and only seen. And all his purposes are, are carried out by Christ and in Christ and through Christ and for Christ. From beginning to end. Think of it this way. You you might have a vault full of money and jewels and gold and and treasures untold like king tut and you might think that yourself as think of yourself as rich beyond all measure but if it turns out that all of that is just fake it's just counterfeit it's costume jewelry it's fool's gold it's counterfeit coins where will that leave you when the bills come due Still deeply, deeply in debt. Jesus Christ, the the Son of God, His life, His death, His resurrection and reign, Paul says is the only mark of authenticity on the treasures of God's grace. He says in in verse 13 of chapter 1, that we having believed in Jesus, we are sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. It's as if uh, the Spirit comes and stamps upon our heart. In Christ we trust. And that's the, that's the mark. That's the, uh, that's the seal, if you will, on every spiritual blessing that we receive from God. And if anything different is stamped there, or if that is, that is missing, then we not only don't have a guarantee, but we can be sure that those things are no blessings at all, but really a different gospel, as Paul says in Galatians, and, and, and a curse. You see, it's in Christ, and it's in Christ alone that God lavishes the riches of His grace upon us. And it is in Christ alone that our inheritance is guaranteed. Christ is the head of His church. We are seated with him in the heavenly realms. All principalities and powers are subject to him. So not only will we we be drawn to marvel at God's 
glory and grace in this letter, but we will do so by gazing upon Jesus Christ. By looking at his pers- who he is and, and what he has done, all that he has done for us and is for us, who are united to him by faith. Which leads to the last thing, theme that we'll see in this letter, the ones to whom this treasure of grace comes. Paul reminds us of the one from whom it comes, God, the Father, and he points us to the one through whom it comes, Jesus, the Son, but he also notes those to whom this treasure is given. Paul's not just writing to anyone. He's not just sending this letter out randomly to whoever would read it. He's writing to the saints, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Interesting, the words in Ephesus here in this letter are not found in many of the earlier manuscripts. And in some manuscripts, it's actually left blank as if it were there to, to be filled in. And, and many think that this letter was written to be actually delivered as a circular letter to the churches around Asia with its original, with original being taken to the church at Ephesus. One of the main port cities in Asia. And, and, and it was indeed meant for the people of Ephesus was a, a wealthy, cosmopolitan, thoroughly pagan city that contained the large temple of, of Artemis or Diana, one of the seven wonders of the world. And if you go back and read in Acts chapter 19, which I encourage you to in these days ahead and we'll refer to at different points, Paul's ministry of the gospel in Ephesus had been resoundly successful, but it also caused quite an upheaval and a stir in the religious and economic life of that city, such that a riot broke out and Paul was driven away. And now Paul is writing from prison in Rome and he's writing to encourage the believers there and in the surrounding areas and to encourage even us today with this letter to the church, to God's people whom Paul calls saints. Saints. The word saint means a holy one. One who is set apart. And we often think of it as, as maybe used as the, as the Catholic Church uses it to designate a, a special class of Christians. Those elevated to, to a, a kind of a, a, a super level of Christianity. You may be thinking, yes, I'm a Christian, but believe me, I am no saint. That's often what we think about when we hear that word. Well, let me assure you that Paul is not writing to the, the court of cardinals nor is he addressing a white-robed body of, of people with, with halos glowing over their heads. He is writing to everyday common folks, believers like you and me. And according to the Bible, according to Paul, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, a follower of Christ, then friend, you are a saint. You are a saint. You are a holy one. You are set apart unto God. He has given you his grace. And Paul says we have been joined together as saints in Christ. With the saints throughout history and with with those around the globe. And we are called to live in community with fellow saints in a particular location. In our case here in the triangle at Ambassador. Which leads us to the to the another great theme of this letter which is the church. The congregation of saints in Christ Jesus. 
The riches of God's grace, his glory revealed in Christ, his sovereign purpose and will are most clearly and most plainly seen in and through the church. It is the profound mystery of the gospel that in the church, through the the union we have with Christ and with one another, God has joined together and he has made one. People of different nationalities, of different backgrounds, of different cultures, of different uh, statuses. And he has joined us together as one in Christ. It is in the church that God is revealing the power and the purpose of his grace. Not only to the, to the watching world, but it's a Paul will say to the angels, to the principalities and powers in heaven. And it's through the church, through God's saints, that God is exposing the deeds of darkness to the visible light of Christ. It is through the church that God is demonstrating heavenly relationships in the family, in the workplace, in neighborhoods, in, in and through the church. God's saints. That he is, it is it's through God's saints, through his church, that he's prevailing in the spiritual battle against evil until one day he will victoriously unite all things under the feet of Jesus Christ. And so you see, when we, when we see the church from that heavenly perspective, as Paul will show us in this letter, when we realize its importance, when we understand its significance, we will see what a special privilege, what a special responsibility it is that we are called as members of the church, that we are called as as saints together in Christ Jesus. Ephesians calls us to consider how we live because of who we are. And it calls us to see the riches of God's grace lavished upon us as part of his great plan and purpose to manifest that grace and and to display it and to dispense it through the world, through his people. So Paul reminds us of the one from whom this treasure of grace comes, God the Father. He reminds us of the one through whom it comes, Jesus the Son. And he reminds us of those who have received it, the faithful in Christ, the saints in his church. And lastly, he points us to the essence of the treasure itself. Grace and peace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Grace means God's unmerited favor. It's His his incomprehensible love that is poured out in overflowing abundance on those who were once His enemies. It is His inexhaustible forgiveness of our sins that covers every sin of those who have rebelled against Him. It's his almighty power, that same power that that raised Jesus from the dead. That is at work in us who are utterly helpless and weak. And it's his profound wisdom and truth that's revealed to those who are are darkened in understanding and, and the futility of their thinking. That is all God's grace. That is all his his unmerited gift and favor. And there is much, much more. And the result of that grace is peace. The shalom of God. It's knowing that in Christ, in Christ, we are accepted. We are justified. We are adopted. We are loved. We are secure. 
we are significant. It is assurance that no matter what the circumstances are, God is for us and he is working in us to accomplish his perfect will, to glorify his name and to advance his kingdom in the world. It's that settled rest, that inner peace in being sure that every spiritual blessing in heaven belongs to us and there's nothing that can separate us from God's love or take away the blessings in Christ. Grace and peace. That's a good summary of the treasure, of the riches which God has lavished upon us. What that looks like and how it works out, we'll see as we go through this letter. But it encompasses all the vast array of, of blessings that God has bestowed on us. And as we look at this book, my hope is that we will, we will not only be overwhelmed by the great magnitude of God's grace, but we will be overcome with a, with a great measure of his peace that both will overflow in praise and worship to God and to Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you and us in the days ahead. Read Ephesians. Read through it together as a family. Read it out loud to yourself, to one another. If you're a believer in Christ, as you read that, marvel anew at the lavish treasure of His grace, the rich abundance of His uh, the inheritance which he has for us, the glorious hope that he gives to us and, and has for us as his church through Jesus Christ. Take a piece of paper maybe and start making a ledger as you go through the letter of all the spiritual blessings that belong to you and to us by virtue of our union with Christ by faith. Consider the amazing purpose and will of God which he has revealed and which he has called us to as his people and how significant the body of Christ, the people of God, still broken sinners, still being perfected by His Spirit, and yet joined together in Him. How blessed we truly are. And if you're here this morning, and you're not in Christ, let me just encourage you to not, not continue looking upon this treasure from afar, not continue peering in through a people, but put your hope in Christ alone. Enter in, receive the wealth of blessing that God has for you in Christ Jesus. Join this journey with us here at Ambassador as we go through this letter and ask God to reveal Himself and His glory in Christ to you. Ask Him to, to give you wisdom and understanding as you read through his word, such that you might know the wealth of his blessing, the forgiveness of sin, the gift of eternal life, the welcome as his son or daughter. For it is by grace, Paul says, that we are saved. And God will do it. And God is doing it to all who call upon him in faith. Let's pray together. Gracious God, your grace abounds and your blessings are more than we can understand and imagine. You have bestowed upon us, even while we were sinners and enemies of you, the richest abundance of blessings that we could ever imagine. 
And Lord, we thank you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would not only know that, we would not understand that, but we would experience that. That we would live our lives according to that truth. That we would see you and that we would seek to glorify you and your son, Jesus Christ, as we live our lives in light of your sovereign purpose and will and grace to us in Christ. And Lord, unite us together afresh as your people in this time when we have in many ways just physically been apart for a long time, when we see much division and and alienation going on around us and maybe even feel that in us. Lord, would you remind us that we are, we are united with you and seated with you and that we are joined together here in this community of faith at Ambassador and with other brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. And Lord, as we live out the realities of the abundance of your grace in our lives. Lord, we are portraits, pictures, display cases, and yes, even instruments of that grace to one another and to those around us. Lord, would you make it so? We give you all praise and honor and glory in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.